Hi, Internet. My name is John Tomatoes. Happy New Year. Happy, happy. This is Melissa. Hi. Uh, <laughs> she gave me a chorizo burrito. I did. That oh, was it. chorizo. It was it was mesquite chicken. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. I need to order that more often. It's good. <laughs> screaming, I, screaming I it was... Californian. Is that what they call it? Screaming something from California tortilla. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I thought it was going to be beef. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, this is not beef. Good. <laughs> but it's good. I know, I don't usually do chicken in Mexican either, but I like that. So, um, so we've been away for a little while. Yep. Kind of an unplanned hiatus. It was the holidays, yo. Yes. That's what happens. <laughs> um, for, for those of you who missed us, thank you. <laughs> that uh, is very nice. Um, but uh, yeah, we apologize for. Not really previewing how this was going to happen. Some of it was planned, some of it was not. But we're thinking a monthly schedule might behoove us. So stay tuned, uh, and we'll we'll try to keep you posted if that plan changes. And maybe um, we will do some live recording at Evil Expo of ourselves. Yes, we are looking forward to uh, that. That might be part of the recipe that that got us to this souffle here. Um, <laughs> It's a uh, it is. It is. If you want, to um, <laughs> we're looking forward to uh, Evil Expo coming uh, January twenty fourth to the twenty sixth. Yeah. Um, we're gonna be in somewhere between Piscataway Way and Hackensack. <laughs> somewhere up in New Northern New Jersey. <laughs> um, the wilds of Northern New Jersey. In a, in a Radisson hotel, <laughs> talking about. Um, bad, the bad boys of a young adult and uh, selling our wares, yes, both dragon related and otherwise. Come support the dragon dystopia, you know, you want to join, join Melissa's uh, dragon militia. <laughs> uh, and my friend Jason's gonna be there, so you can get one of his um, well, you can try to with the raffle that we have get one of his uh, great canvas things or. Uh, if he so pleases, you can um, get a sketch from him. He was sketching the last time we went to a convention, so that might be part of the dice. Um, as for us, we will talk about Star Wars Woo-hoo! and Little Women. Yes. A very strange double feature. Yes, well, you know. But it's kind of a result of this kind of monthly roundup thing that we have going. Because in between those things and after those things, we also watch a lot of TV. Um because Netflix and Disney Plus rock. <laughs> yes. Um, so I believe before Star Wars, we watched that Macbeth adaptation that was yes. like <laughs> shoved woven into, into the Gargoyles cartoon. Yeah, woven is, be- is a better adjective because it was it's so impressive that they impressive that they seamlessly put the character of Macbeth, which we knew already. Yeah within that season was a villain. But I did not expect there to be, like, fans of animation will will recognize that sometimes they'll do, like, a three-part episode, three-part, like, mini-series thing within cartoons sometimes and then sell those as TVs. Um, And City of Stone was what it was called. For those of you who have not heard of Gargoyles... Shame on you. You should be watching this. (laughs) Uh, who don't remember that from the past or just uh, somehow avoided it altogether. Uh, on Disney Plus, there exists uh, a world that is both ancient and new. And 
and it's uh, about these gargoyles who are frozen. Uh, and te technically, it's that trope, like frozen, wake up in the future thing. Um, they're cursed, really. And Macbeth all of a sudden pops up as a villain, and yeah, you don't know how he like, got there. And the then they, they circle back to guy? explaining <clears throat> how Macbeth got also trapped in the future. Yes. Um, and it was dope. <laughs> yes. Um, the fates are involved. It's fantastic. Yeah. And the, or the, the weird sisters, rather. I should call them. That's how they call them here. Yeah. And, and it, it does a lot to respect all of that stuff and still make it really fun yes. to watch. Like it's it's interesting because we we have a couple of things like that, like Samurai Jack or um, Avatar: The Last Airbender. Airbender. Uh, <laughs> I want to watch Avatar: The Last Airbender. Airbender. That's that's. You blend air. It's a show that we. That's the mystery. <laughs> <laughs> Get it back on track. <clears throat> that that dip into somewhat esoteric things, but made them very fun. Like, that's some of the most respected animation that's come out. Um, and so this is just one that dips into, like, Scottish folklore. And um, I don't know. It's just really good. Yes. Real good stuff. Uh, and also Mandalorian, uh, as it was airing, like, somewhat, like, week by week. Um, we finished that, and that was real cool. Yes. John um, is finally satisfied with him as a knight errant. Yeah, yeah. I, I had this weird uh, axe to grind throughout it that, like, we had because it all started with that that Malcolm Gladwell thing, where he had this like way of breaking down, like deconstructing shows by like this is a northern and a western and a southern and stuff, and it was not helpful for me as a co-viewer <laughs> to like be able to make other people's viewing experiences nice, but. It was interesting to see how they gave him this mission. Yeah. Because I was hoping that it would get out of a, to me, looked kind of like a monster of the week kind right, of breath. Right. Um, I was worried it was getting that way. Yeah. But they did eventually pull it back into a, a solid arc and it, it ended well. Yeah. Yeah. Because <clears throat> I think, like, it wasn't necessarily that the character was, um, like, I think they did a good job of making him. A little more likable than the anti-hero of the week, where he's some kind of like, you know, person that like mercilessly mercs innocent people, and then you're supposed to like still like him. Like he wasn't as bad as like an '80s stereotype of an action hero, but um, they uh, did a good job of making him someone that was like not necessarily the the classic hero, and then gets this really earnest kind of like quest um at the end of the series so for those of you who like kind of esoteric things maybe like gargoyles and um other those more like hero journey things uh there is one in there <laughs> and uh it is fun to get to that to that point it wasn't um it wasn't uh kind of like like the, the i think the good faith criticisms of the Last Jedi, even though I don't think that I don't think it was the worst thing in the world. No, um, it was. It wasn't like a. It was more like a seven to me, yeah. than like a four. Right. It's um, just because we're we're so used to you know Star Wars being a twelve. Uh -huh. So to get one that's a seven, you're like, oh my gosh, that was awful. I was like, no, 
There are much worse things in the world. Trust me, this was not that bad. Um, <clears throat> but I did enjoy... Um, I keep wanting to call it Skywalker Rising. That's not what it's called. No, Skywalker Ascending. That's what I'm calling it. We are calling it Skywalker Ascending. This is not the title, but that's what I refer to it as. <clears throat> because um, because Jupiter Ascending was such a dis disappointment. You want to talk about a four? That was Jupiter Ascending with a four. Very sad about that whole thing. Do we want to get into that movie? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot to talk about. You're, 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 spot. I don't know. Well, thing. I think like that. I think as somebody who likes <clears throat> sci-fi, I feel like there is that, um, that like you're saying this unmarked optimism that like m the thing that I like is cool, and so there's that that uh, there was that attitude I think going into the Star Wars franchise, this new franchise, and the there was like some mis maybe um, unremarkable commentary that was pressed onto the whole adventure um, of getting back into the, the whole thing. Um, but I think that the for, for my personal investment into it, I thought it was a fun ride. I got to introduce my girlfriend to the Star Wars mythos, and she thought it was pretty cool. Um, so much that like she bought me a whole bunch of Star Wars <laughs> stuff, um, and was got really into the the idea of it, um, and I thought the um, well let, let me not cap uh, monopolize. I'm going to say capitalize. <laughs> you don't get to capitalize on Star Wars. We wish we could capitalize on Star Wars. That's <laughs> not our not our place, unfortunately. Yeah. What What were your thoughts? <clears throat> so. Um, I, I forgot, I didn't realize how much I had missed J.J. as director. Like we said, Last Jedi was not as good. It wasn't horrifying, but it was not as good as some of the other ones in the franchise. Um, J.J. Abrams just has this way of very quickly taking care of plot points so that you can keep moving forward, right? Uh -huh. So all of the weirdness that we were questioning at the end of the second one at the end of Last Jedi, he cleared up in the first five minutes in like three sentences, <laughs> right? It's like, okay, uh, Snoke was all right. Hopefully, oh, wait, the official. I saw the official post today. Seals are down. Spoilers are allowed now. Warning well, who, has been sent. Who, who's got the official? I don't know. Somebody officially posted, unofficially posted, whatever. It's Facebook. Everything's unofficial. whatever helps you sleep at night. <laughs> Spoiler alert! Spoilers are now allowed. Oh, there you go. Suck it up. Anyway, um, Snoke was being controlled by the Emperor. Mm -hmm. Emperor's back. Um, what was the other one? There was like some other line that he just took care of in like one line of dialogue. Done. Mm. I forget what the other one was, but anyway, he just cleared everything up in like the first fifteen minutes. Done. Taken care of. Let's move on. Mm -hmm. Here's the new plot, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Um. And, like, the, the the tying up of the plot between Ray and and uh, Ren. Sorry, mm. <laughs> their names are too similar. <laughs> Ray and Ben. Whatever. His name rhymes. Why did they do that? Anyway. 
<laughs> You're out of roll. Anyway, um, I like the way that they did that whole thing about the, the, the conflict between them and her saying, you know, I would have been with you if you'd actually been... Uh, can I think of their names now? That's terrible. Ben Solo instead of this creepy dude that's trying to take over the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the amping up of the terror of the Empire because, like we said, some of our annoyances in the last one was how they made it kind of like a joke. Mm-hmm. And in this one, it was it was scary. Mm-hmm. The level of threat that that guy brought was just terrifying. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that they gave um, my space Nazi boyfriend, whatever his name is, Hux, they gave Hux more of a plot point in that like he actually mm. was in the plot as opposed to being uh-huh. a joke in the plot like mm. he was in the second one he actually had a part in the story was good I like I enjoyed that a lot too um yeah so all around good plot structure mm-hmm. they gave me a lot of good feels a lot of thrills um without being quite as open-ended questiony as the whole second one was I actually feel like I now understand what it meant to balance the force, which has been plaguing me since the first movie. I mean, the first I, first I still, movie. I still have no idea. <laughs> but I'm glad you're happy about it. Because the, 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 it's, well, this is the big spoiler, but the, the fact that at the end they said that whole, the emperor embodied all of the Sith. Uh-huh. And she's like, but I embody all of the Jedi. So this is it. We're ending it now. Uh-huh. And I don't know. To me, that made that was good closure for me. Okay. I know that might not be good closure for everybody, <laughs> but that worked for me. <laughs> okay. So, yes. I think it worked. And I enjoy it very much. Okay. Um. <laughs> he was not expecting me to be, <laughs> be a comedy role B there. No. I don't know what that was. No, I, um, I agree. And I like that Lando is back. Oh yes, Lando. I love Lando. And I like that I like that Chewie had a little bit more to do. Yes. Um and uh like it, it they did they did some of those like smaller homages without doing with like he didn't do another into darkness thing where it's like directly mirroring things from the other film. Right. It was a good job of uh making it very character based and having a lot of cool like I like the moment with, uh, with Ray and the, the little monster thing that she was fighting to get the, oh uh, uh, yeah yeah the uh, map thing from. Um, there were a lot of those things that reminded me of, of something more, like fantasy. Um, that I thought was cool. Yeah, overall I think it did a good job of, uh, wrapping up the story. Um. And. Uh, I th- I think that the um the the little flex of um kind of like like modernism that was that were in the Last Jedi he did a good job of like karate chopping yeah it's like we're cutting this out we're taking care of this in two sentences moving on mm-hmm. because like, I, I don't this flab I, like personally like it, it, modernism don't doesn't bother me as much as postmodernism yes. like I thought it was a cool thing in the Last Jedi where like they like, um, what's his name? Uh, Luke thinks that this the the scrolls have been burned, 
but then you find out that they've right. been taken and that kind of popped up again in uh the rise of skywalker um it wasn't it wasn't luke and ray's storyline i had a problem with in the last jedi i think that part was great and actually for me it felt a lot like um the Empire Strikes Back in parts where Luke is dealing with Yoda and trying to, you know, figure out his training part. Because mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> that that's always supposed to be a big step for the Jedi is to struggle with, you know, the internal struggle of becoming what you are and getting, you know, fighting with the dark side. And all mm-hmm. that. Um, the parts I had problems with were like some of the random stuff on the, like it was just out of character things with the rebels, like with Poe, mm-hmm. and then the whole strange side plot of leaving the ship that is getting chased by Imperials, like and going somewhere else and coming back without the Imperials. No, like it was just a weird mm-hmm. side quest thing mm-hmm. that didn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought it, the, to you, the, it kind of felt like actual, a comic that was like related to the. Yeah, saga, it was like really. you know some some B comic that's like off the main shoot of things. And I'm like, how does that make any sense? A, that they even got away. B, that they're doing this weird side thing when you're supposed to be over here trying to figure out how to get away. From, I don't know. It was just weird mm-hmm. to me. And then, like I said, it left a lot of weird questions or opened up questions that we had never been asking. Like you're not supposed to in the middle, open up new questions. Like you're oh. the middle movie, you're supposed to be moving other things forward and revealing mm-hmm. stuff, not opening up right. new to, questions to that me, we never asked in the first. To time. me, it was bothersome that it seemed to interpret the, the long dark of the soul as an excuse to question it was like star wars question mark yeah no and it it was it was an odd thing because obviously like there's nothing about um the thing that i think it, it it made the magic trick like seem like not real right oh i remember the other thing that J.J. Abrams chopped with one line of dialogue in the uh-huh. the whole Poe wanting to be leader thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Like yeah, at really the beginning of the second movie, they set up a good like, oh, you're trying, you think you're a hotshot hero, uh-huh. which I would have been fine with if he was just like a bit off, you know, a bit wild and was doing hotshot stuff to uh-huh. show off. Right. And they were trying to keep him under control, but that's not the plot line they went with. They went with like, oh, he thinks he's supposed to be in charge. Mm-hmm. Which was weird to me because he never came across as that kind of guy. Uh-huh. But then in the second, in the third one, mm-hmm. when you know most of the leadership is gone, and so now he's one of the older, he's like one of the only guys left that can lead mm-hmm. the thing, and he's acting like, not that he's acting like he wants to be in charge, is that he knows he's not like the people in charge, right? Mm-hmm. So he says something like, "Well, I'm not General Leia," mm-hmm. and and. Finn turns around and says, yeah, we know you're not. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Like, that's all you need is that two lines right there. Because now you realize Poe knows he isn't mm-hmm. that kind of leader, uh-huh. but he wants to be a good leader. Yeah. And everybody else knows, yeah, but you're not them. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, like, and that's it. That's all you needed was, mm-hmm. like, that. And not this whole weird, I don't mm-hmm. know what that was. Yeah, it's, it's Power it's, struggle. It's strange to me because there, there seems to be this, um, this push and pull. I, I kind of mentioned it before. I don't know if I ever want to extrapolate this idea further but i like i feel like i have this thing of there's things that i um that become like a fetish within like criticism 
where there's this like repulsion and attraction at the same time. So there's this odd thing that like there's this attraction towards uh, subtlety, but then also a desire to replicate nostalgic things. Right. Uh, and so there are some critics that I that I listen to that seem to have this strange desire to repeat what we've already seen and some like sort of experimentation, something new, something fresh. Um, and I thought it was like one thing I responded to in it was that rather than doing straight character arcs that are reappropriated, it seemed to me that it was more like there were visual references. Yeah. So, like, there was the fight that when Ray and, and uh, Kylo Ren fight together, it was reminiscent of In The Last Jedi when you got a really cool-looking scene that maybe didn't have the same importance to you, but it felt like it was somehow rhyming with itself right. the way that Lucas kind of talks about with, with yeah. fantasy. And like I said, like, their plotline in The Last Jedi was very well done. I really liked all of that. Mm. The Jedi part. Mm. I just think the side people part got weird. Mm -hmm. Like, as opposed to in The Empire Strikes Back, where, um, yes, Luke is off doing his Jedi thing, which is a great plot line, mm. but then also Han and all of them have a great plot line where they have a definite thing that they're trying to accomplish, mm. even though it's just like, oh, look, it's Death Star 2, but it's a different problem. Mm. You know, like, I still find that as a fun plotline in the movie they didn't really give them a, an actual plausible fun plotline it's like they had to struggle to come up with a, a side like the, the B character's plotline in The Last Jedi as opposed to in Rise of Skywalker everybody had stuff that they were tying up and that they were trying to you know wrap up for themselves it's always hard in middle movies anyway like the middle of any trilogy is always rough I think that's a hard thing to do. It's like the middle of a novel. The middle of a novel is like the suckiest part <laughs> to write. Because, I mean, hopefully it's not the suckiest part to read for people. <laughs> you want it to be good. But trying to make it good as a writer is really hard. Mm. At least in my experience. I don't know what part you think is the hardest part. I think the middle sucks. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I keep right. getting way off topic. Sorry. <laughs> he keeps looking at me with this blank stare. <laughs> I think he should have taken a longer nap. I don't know. How did you, how, my you, how you took it a longer nap? I wouldn't get you getting off topic. Maybe I should take. Maybe I should take a nap. I don't know. All right. After these messages, we will we'll talk be to you. Right back. Is there is there also a corresponding? And we're back. Thing. Little little claymation cowboy. <laughs> I don't think there was. Okay. For coming back. Depended <laughs> on the show. Um, the, uh, the other shows we've been watching are, um, well, <laughs> I keep in my mind referencing another show. We've been watching Jericho. Yes. Which is not Jeremiah. No. <laughs> no matter how much my brain wants. It wants it to be, apparently. I think, I think maybe what I was looking forward to was more Malcolm Jamal Warner. Oh. I liked him in the Cosby Show. Well, he's cool, and he's in Jeremiah. But when my sister was like, "Oh, let's watch that dystopian show from the early aughts," and that starts with a J, yes, I was like, like "Oh, no. it's 
Oh, no, wait. No, that's another one. That's a different one. This is sadcore, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I, th I, I think that's what you usually should be calling emo as a genre now. This is sadcore. Because it seems like most people that are labeled emo don't want to be called emo. <laughs> and now it's starting to get into the hip-hop genre. So, like, yes. so I'm, you sad heard it here works. first, folks. Um, like anyway, but I called it that because we're also noticing that there are a lot of adult alternative music songs that are being played like basically at the end of every I don't know which producer decided this was like I know, a the thing. thing to do. This is like across multiple yeah, it is. genres I remember, and I remember it most from I guess from CSI. Mm -hmm. Is that the ones that really started doing it goofy? It was some it was some procedural show. And uh -huh. it was the most because it's it's like, oh we have an extra Two minutes of airtime at the uh, end of this show. We need to have a very long slow motion scene of the bad guy getting arrested and have mm -hmm. like oh yeah, yeah sad yeah. core music going in the background. I don't know why that happened on all of these shows, but that just seemed to be a thing. Right. And actually, there was one. Oh man, I wish I could remember which one it was now. Where they actually did full on music videos, like they would put the name of the band up and everything. Oh really? Yeah, it was like full on music video of somebody getting arrested at the end of the show, and it's like. This is the indie band that's doing this thing. And I'm like, maybe that's part of the, maybe it's part of it is business related <laughs> for that reason. But, but, um, but like, I used to like how with Law and Order, they would have some kind of like disquieting, like stinger thing on the end, or like sometimes the person, like, you find out like some, the, some person that knew that they were going to get released or shoots them, yeah, or like, that. Because it was it was an interesting thing because it it was a reminder of their part of the like as much as I was talking earlier about Malcolm Gladwell's weird thing about like he that whole theory that he had about northern western southern eastern thing uh, was particularly in reference to justice within storytelling and it started out as a critique of Law and Order that he was saying that they're all northerns and they're all about like reassuring the populace that the justice system works and everything. Um, but that was what was funny to me was that it was a reminder that they only had purview over a certain part of the right of the system. Thing. And like when you see something like CSI, where our dad, who was a parole officer, yeah, it was like would reference CSI guys can't do this. <laughs> yeah, they, he would reference they don't all go the time that they people, make they it can't. seem like they have control over a lot more of the process than they actually do. Um, it was cool to see them make it like, oh no, this show this world continues after their part of the process. And even just the conflict between the cops and the lawyers, because mm -hmm. the cops would get the guy and then the lawyers would be like, yeah, but you can't keep him. Mm -hmm. Where's your evidence? Like, <laughs> you can't just do that to people. Um, which is funny because that is more or less what is interesting to me about the show is that it's trying to personalize this kind of idea of like, how do you keep things keep law and order. Right, when the rest of the world seems to be falling apart. Yeah, um, and uh, it, it seems to be a similar trend as a lot of other things during this time, post 9-11, of like, the world's falling apart, so let's try to figure out how we write this thing. And that, it's an interesting thing, because there are very lighthearted parts of the show, um, but that's why I kind of joked about it being like sad for, because it is, there is this grounded, there's a lot of weight to the drama within the show um, and mixed with very real, like, nice, like, uh, op optimistic moments peppered in there. Um, 
and uh, with with this song at the end. That I just realized they also did that in Lost, but they did that with the CD player. Oh yeah, which is so funny because in any other show it's just kind of like a thing that they yeah, do. It's just randomly, but in that it was like it was actual somebody listening to music. Yeah, and eventually, especially what we liked about Impulse too is that's a lot of the music I play is her on her headset right. listening to. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that because that um, I wrote a thing about how um, she actually listens to it in the middle of the show. Usually, yeah, they kind of time it around there, so it's it, it's interesting to me because just changing when it is in the show makes me think about it more than if it was just, it was just a, thing at the end. a thing at the end. Because yeah. you're starting to like, we're like grandma, where there is no denouement. <laughs> so the music at the end, and we're like, we're already shutting our brains off. Right, right. Um, so yeah, I'm really enjoying that uh, as much as I like to confuse it with another show. <laughs> and um, how does the expanse? Oh, so so good. Um, they gave you your grimdark Star Trek show that actually works. That I want that wasn't Star Trek because <laughs> Star Trek shouldn't be grimdark. Um, other than because <clears throat> me and my friends have a, a new thing where we are attempting to only watch shows where the people don't act like idiots, don't mm. make stupid choices. There was one stupid choice that was made, but other than that. Um, what? Uh, I, what? Let me see if I can drill down there. Is it a stupid choice done by someone who is usually intelligent? Yes. Okay. Or at least usually wiser. I don't know mm-hmm. what is necessarily like. He's not the smartest guy. He's not usually impulsive either. <laughs> right. Uh. But now, but granted, he's got you know the ghost of somebody talking to him in his head that nobody else can hear, and so he's got some problems. Yeah, when that happens. So you know, the guy talks him into turning on this alien contraption. But I'm like, you do realize there's other people on this planet. You don't know what this thing does. Why are you turning this on? Like, can't you get everybody off the planet first? Mm -hmm. Oh, that was the other thing. Although, this isn't Star Trek, so I can't expect all the people showing up on a planet to be as smart as the people in Star Trek are. That's part Mm -hmm. of what the problem is. The people that are currently colonizing the planet that most of the action takes place on are just, like, random refugees that come to this planet because they know there's good mining there and they want the minerals oh. they don't really they're not explorers they're not there are scientists but they're not like it's not the navy you know mm-hmm. like star trek if starfleet is the you know planetary navy uh-huh. this is not official people this is like you know joe schmo coming out here to play. Mm-hmm. this are the this is the westward expansion right mm-hmm. so these are you know dudes and kind of stone wagons just going west because there's gold and then dark hills guys uh-huh. that's who these people are uh-huh. so they show up on this planet that just happens to have 10 moons equidistantly spaced around the outside of the planet. Uh-huh. And there's these big random ancient alien thingies hanging out on the, and they don't think anything weird or like, Oh yeah, sure. We can survive. We've never lived on a full sized planet in full gravity ever, but we'll be okay. Half of them die because they're, like I said, they lived on asteroids previously. So they're not used to full gravity with actual atmosphere and any of that. So, although they try to medicate themselves against it, half of them die just from living on a planet that's got real gravity and stuff. And then... Are the aliens ambivalent about this? The aliens, yes, are ambivalent about humans in general. We're still not quite sure what their goal is, because the ghost in Dude's Head that has... is, is a ghost because the aliens are using this character that is technically dead. To communicate with Jim, we're gonna call him Jim. It's James something. I forget his name, last name. Anyway, 
the aliens are using him to communicate with Jim. Mm -hmm. But the guy himself actually got autonomy back in this season. Mm -hmm. So now he's saying, look, I don't know what the aliens are doing, but I'm going to tell you what we need to do to save you guys because these things need to die. So, because apparently there are two alien races. There are the alien races that created all these rings that they are using to jump around the universe. Mm -hmm. And then there's this aliens that created what they call the proto-molecule, which just basically wants to rewrite everybody's DNA. Mm. So they want to destroy that. Mm. So the ghost character is alternately being controlled by those aliens or by himself. Mm. So it was weird watching that happen back and forth. Mm -hmm. And then, then they just run into all kinds of fun nature stuff that happens when you're on a foreign planet that you've never seen before and haven't mm. bothered to study the ecosystem of before you land there. So they're like, there's like all these poison slugs that are trying to kill them and like, some kind of weird fungus that affects their eyes and they all go blind. Like, it's all crazy stuff. Meanwhile, the politics back on Earth are crazy because the my favorite chick, like, can I not, I need to look up this actress's name. I don't, I don't remember, the Indian lady uh -huh. um, is amazing. My favorite actress ever. I love it when she pops up and shows. She's great. She's the president of Earth and is currently up for re-election. And so her secretary of state decides to step down and run against her. Mm -hmm. So it's like all this interesting political stuff happening. And then the Martian Marine chick, who's also awesome, is getting involved with like some criminals and discovers this plot on Mars to like start another war. I don't know. All kinds of crazy things happening. Very exciting. And I just love how the show's written. Yeah, I think that the... Um... There's a lot of things from the outside looking in <laughs> that are that are interesting. Uh, it 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 just seems like the show is too smart for me. Oh. So uh, take they don't, take what they don't you go want into that. a lot of technical stuff. Right, but I think that there's uh, there's a certain type of sci-fi writing that's more impenetrable for me to. Um, get involved in um, and I think there is um, there's a certain like uh, there's a certain strange continuum between like very sappy sci-fi and very like ones that romanticize very stoic Main, like right. main characters, which is probably why you're enjoying Lost in Space because I think they do a good balance mm. in Lost in Space. Yeah, because I think we've talked about how in that and in Mandalorian, you get more of a continuum of the like man versus nature, right. and like there are evil characters that do have some malevolent like plan and stuff like that. So you have like a mixture of different problems to right. solve, and it's a lot more of a family drama, really, even though mm -hmm. The Mandalorian's not really about a family, but it feels more like a family drama. Well, now, now it is. <laughs> then, then something like The Expanse, which is a lot more hardcore, like, space sucks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, thing. yeah, and, and I think I think I've, that that Game of Thrones has just wearied me of Grimdark for stuff for a little yeah, while. Yeah, I don't blame you. But I can see, I can see, certainly from an outside perspective, like, how it is doing different character work than some kind of like what was, what was somewhat bothersome to me about Game of Thrones where there was just kind of 
petty differences. There wasn't much discussion of like that as the um, something that was apolitical, like the stuff that we like about about these two other shows. Well, well that's cool. And then finally, they showed the movie, the movie that I fell in love with. <laughs> a little woman. Which surprised the daylights out of me. I would not expect you to like little women. I would not expect me to like little women either. Because for any for any young man who has grown up in a conservative household, there is kind of like a canon of literature that you are that that aren't necessarily presented to you, but that you're kind of aware of. Yeah. And so I heard of Jane Austen. I heard of Anne of Green Gables. I heard of the the Bronte works with Wuthering Heights. Is that what it is? Yes. Yes. Um, and then Jane Eyre. So, like, there is a, a way in which that becomes kind of like a a genre to itself until you actually imbibe some of the nectar and then you parse the nutrients for yourself. Um and this was uh, an interesting version of it because, like you said, it was much more concerned with it concerned itself with the more romantic plots um, within the um, the novel that you said is mo- more uh, generally based on family right. problems. Um, but really, when you're doing a two-hour movie movie adaptation of a novel, you kind of need to pick and choose. Yeah. Um, Sometimes people pick and choose wisely. Sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. Usually when you're adapting a novel, it's much better to do a full-on miniseries because novels are very complicated things mm-hmm. and it's hard to portray them in two hours. Did you go in assuming that there would be some kind of uh, some kind of statement or some kind of um, style that you, that you were like afraid basically that it was going to be like a certain thing. Yeah. I, I'm not exactly sure I can put in words what I was expecting. Mm. I was expecting it to Oh, because be... we saw the Greta Gerwig adaptation that just came out. I don't know how broadly this was like advertised. Right, right. But. Um, because, okay, so I was, I was and still am in love with the version from, I don't know, was that the late 90s? I'm not sure when exactly I, I, I the think so. other one was made. With Winona Ryder and Susan Sarandon and a whole bunch of other amazing actors, um, and I and I really loved it. And it was done as a very respectful period piece. Um, it didn't feel like there were a lot of any kind of statements made at all. It was just we're going to present to you this story because it's an awesome story and everybody loves the story. Mm-hmm. So here's the story of a like, but they focus more as a like coming of age thing for Joe mm-hmm. mostly. That's what their right. arc was in there. Um, for all of the girls, really, but mostly focused on Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really love that version. And I was worried that, like, I was going to watch this one and hate it because it wasn't that version. Or I was going to watch this one and hate it because because it's a new generation of people making it. And I'm mm-hmm. out of touch with a lot of what this generation is doing. Like, I feel like there's a lot of stuff I don't understand mm-hmm. or that is I just don't get mm-hmm. or that doesn't connect with me. Mm-hmm. And I really like this story, so I would feel sad if I watched this thing and it didn't connect with it. Mm-hmm. at all because of how they portrayed it mm-hmm. um but i think that she portrayed it in a very good way i think she really accomplished making it connect with a lot of you know a broad range of people 
um, this is the first time a guy has asked me to go see this movie. <laughs> like, I did not expect my brother to be like, hey, let's go watch Little Women. And they're like, what? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, there were a lot of men in the audience. Mm-hmm. Even if they were there on dates, there were still a lot of men in the audience. That next to me was laughing. Right? Like, it was, and it touched a lot of people, the guys mm-hmm. included. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they did a really good job with it. It was a lot more energetic, I think, mm-hmm. than the older version. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, they focused a lot more on, I think they focused a lot more on the romantic plots than mm-hmm. necessarily making it feel like a coming of age. Mm-hmm. They made it feel a lot more about, you know, what it meant for a woman, especially at the time, to need to feel like she needed to marry, but also to feel like she wanted mm-hmm. her own life, and but still felt lonely. Like, that was, I think, a really good touch of them putting that speech in that Joe had, mm-hmm. um, because it tied it up really nicely. And they did have some, like, comments in there about feministic-type things, mm-hmm. but they were comments that fit the story. Like, mm-hmm. it was stuff that the story was actually addressing. Like, I don't think they, like, I thought they were going to, like, wedge stuff in that didn't really fit mm-hmm. in the story, because some people do that. But I don't think they did. I think they made, mm-hmm. they just brought out what was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because I've been, I've already been on kind of this mental journey of thinking about, ever since we did Inklings Month, thinking of how the Inklings were dealing with a certain... They, they were doing, like, cultural um, criticism of, like, holdovers from a Victorian era. And um, what's, what's interesting is that even though I went to a school, uh, a high school, that was very arts-accepting, uh, there was this the a beginning of a of a social movement that was very utilitarian about social norms and i in some in some ironic ways more prescriptive than the kind of cloistered community that we come from um and i i feel like there is a lot of work being done within my community around their being this um, tension between uh, egalitarianism and um, more of like prescriptive gender roles. And so I thought this was a good way to, that like Greta Gerwig framed it, that there were this, there were clear presentations of what women were expected to, how they were expected to express themselves, um, how uh, her, like Joe's mother, expected her to um, act in a charitable manner and in a reasonable manner, both within the family and outside of it, um, and balancing that with the fact that the, each one of them had a specific voice that they wanted to express. Each one of them had a different personality, different things that they wanted for themselves, and at no point did it seem like the um, idea of there being like um, this, like this, um, these virtues of charity and goodwill towards each other were a way of restricting them to a specific um, monolith, like women do this, so do this. It was uh, a, a very interesting exploration of how these individual women were growing and adapting to 
the specific burdens that were placed in their lives. Um, and it was a really beautiful, beautiful movie. Like, yeah. I'm, um, uh, I'm an, I, like I said, I'm, I, I felt like I had a love affair with it. Um, and it's interesting that you also mentioned that, like, they're this new kind of class of, like, it feels almost like they're, like, the modern breakfast club. Yeah. In, in a sense that, like, they're, they're these kids that are being put in all these different indie projects and um, they're, they're like Timothy Chalamet, Saoirse Ronan. Um, I forget who played Amy, but she was in um, Midsommar and uh, a wrestling movie <laughs> recently um, that, that that The Rock made for her. And, uh, is it Emma? I keep wanting to call her Hermione. I know that's not her real name. <laughs> oh no, yeah, Emma Watson, Emma Watson. was was also a was sister. Meg. Yeah. Um, She's so the, yeah, she's the only person I knew <laughs> in the movie. Although I knew the the mother and father, but that's see, yeah. I'm old, so yeah. But that I, is the one thing I will say, only because I'm old, and it's not a reflection on the dude playing Laurie, but the dude that played Laurie in my version was Christian Bale, and he's not Christian Bale. But that's just me because I'm old, and so this little beanpole youngin was not as attractive as he was meant to be to me personally. But that's just like me, so. Mm -hmm. Can't blame that guy. Were you one of those true blue fail heads? Where oh, you, Lord, yes. you grew up with him in like Newsboys first. Yes, and, like Newsies, you were twelve, all, and then and I can still sing that song. So yes. Oh yeah, New <laughs> Newsboys is the Christian punk band. No, that's not what I'm thinking of. Yeah, News Newsies. Newsies. He was in the musical Newsies, and he was great. Yeah. And I loved that man all the time. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, so that explains a lot. But that's just um, me, like I said. That's because mm. I'm going to yeah. be 40. Well, I mean, it's, it, it, is, it, is, it is disruptive not to hear you refer to the, like people below. Well, I don't even know how old he is. I know. He's got to be. I'm going to look it up because I'm bad at guessing ages. But anyway, there, I think there was a, is a much younger. I'm, I'm kind of conflating two people because he is the indie darling heartthrob. And then there is a trashy Netflix version. What? That is like another heartthrob character. Because I think what's what's strange to me is that they're um because there's a new uh there are new access points for film and TV that like I'm I'm not used to being aware of those things that would normally just be in the bargain basement of like a dollar store. Um, but those films are kind of being dubbed on Netflix. And so every now and again, I hear some woman my age talking about the latest, like, romantic comedy, but it's a teenage romantic comedy. And uh, I, there's some guy, Nicholas uh, uh, Fentanyl. I don't know. Fentanyl. <laughs> it's an it's a, it's a Italian name. Why does he spell his name that way? Because he's French, I guess. <laughs> Is he really? <laughs> I shouldn't say. It. I, I just thought it was because like, he was being funny, but that's actually his name. Okay. I, do you? Are we gonna make a shirt that's like Bale versus <laughs> Chalamet? Oh, or you cannot tell me that Christian Bale wouldn't beat the crap out of that poor kid. Yes, because he's a grown man. <laughs> I'm about to look up to see how old this boy is. Okay. He might be a grown man too. You don't know. 
if my phone decides to work. Well, I think that's more coming from the fact that Laurie is a very sensitive soul. Um, he was born in, he's 24. Okay. So he counts as a girl. Yeah, I, I can beat him up. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, uh, fake, as too young. Fake competitions aside. <laughs> um, we will be at Evil Expo January 24th to 26th. If you want to come say hi or attend our panels. Support the Dragon Dystopia. Oh, I have, I have a panel, Overcoming Evil with Evil. Yes. If, if that be the name that they put into the program. Yes. Otherwise, just look for Jonathan Matos, and I'll... I'll... He's the one with the sticker on his forehead. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, and, yeah, support us there. Order on anger.fm slash unboxing-story if you would like to do that monetarily. Um, or uh, send us a message. Excuse me, my... I got a throat goblin. Yeah. Um, uh, you can, yeah, leave us a message on there. Or you can email us at unboxingstorypodcast at gmail.com. Any of those things. You can hit us up on social media. I'm John Matos writer on most things. Mom Toast on most things. Um, I'm Mom Toast Mel on the Twits. Yes, Mom Toast underscore Mel on the Twitters. All right. All right. We'll see you later. Bye.